but I'm writing these things to you so that. So we're looking at the, the, this list of requirements for elders and for deacons and, and the governmental uh, structure of the church. But I don't want you to miss this. Paul's telling us, why am I, why am I telling you guys this? Uh, verse 15, for if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God. Look, I want you to realize that this list of requirements is not supposed to be something different for another group of spiritual people. Paul says, I want you to know this is how you're supposed to behave in the house of God. This is how we're all supposed to walk. This is what we're all supposed to be like. This is the, the, the thing that we're supposed to do, which is the church of the living God, not the building, the people. Uh, a pillar and buttress of the truth. A group of people that hold fast to what the word of God is laying out for us. Who say, I'm going to be, my life is going to be governed by the word. Not just that, that uh, you know, I'm going to, I, I just want to get my toes wet. Right? I get my toes wet. And uh, God's calling us to deeper things. Everybody. He's not saying just stand there with your toes in the water and say, well, I'll let it, somebody else go further. But I, I don't want to get too carried away by this whole Jesus thing. No. God wants you over your head. He don't want you to your knees. He don't want you just to the thighs, to your waist. Ezekiel had a vision like this, which you may remember. God wants you to go in. The water goes over you. Sometimes when we're out there in the water, we think this is a wave that's going to take me out. But then we're reminded, you're not surrounded to drown. God is with you. All the things that we look at in these, in these lists and all these ideas, we say, oh my gosh, well, I, don't know. I don't know if I can measure up. I don't know if I can be a man who's above reproach. I don't know if I can be a woman who's above reproach. I don't know if I can lead my fam- family or manage my family like this. And what it requires of us is simply the willingness to say, you know, I'm going to bow my knee and be who God's telling me I'm supposed to be. It's how it's supposed to be in the house of God. It's not supposed to be that people look around for leaders within the church and they say, I don't, I don't, I don't know who can lead. We should look around and say, I don't know which one of the leaders to pick. That's what Paul's telling Timothy. And so I just want us to really kind of wrap our mind around it. Remember the, the ideas that we've talked about. This is something that we are supposed to aspire to. This is something we're supposed, all of us, this is something we're supposed to be reaching for. And then we're, not only do we aspire, remember that's something that we choose externally to reach out, but then it's also something that God by His Spirit wants to place His desire in us to do it. When I don't have a desire to do something I know that God is calling me to, I know the problem is not with God, that He's not strong enough to get me there. I know the problem is me. One of the great blessings of of having an opportunity to to experience um, worship, as we always have here at Calvary Chapel Buell, is the opportunity to let the Spirit reach in and start working. You ever been doing worship a number of times? When I back way back when I was the knucklehead leading, when I was leading worship, there'd be a number of times that if you guys were here back then, I couldn't sing. 
Because I'm crying. Not because the lyrics of the song are just so incredible that I just have to cry about the words. I'm crying because the Spirit of God is reaching inside and doing His thing. It's important that that happens. And then when convicted by the Spirit, my response is not justification, but to bow the knee. If you tell me just to wear blue, or never wear blue again, whatever you're telling me, this is the man or woman that I want to be. So we want to aspire, we want that desire working through us. What were the the qualifications called out? We have the first one, which kind of encapsulates it all, which is being a man above reproach. This is specifically speaking in terms of overseer, a man who is above reproach, meaning he has nothing for which he can be laid hold of. For me, when I look at this, as I'm applying the Word of God, I say that's a man who lives in a state of confession and repentance. Because that's the only way I can be someone you can't lay hold on me for something. Because the Word of God tells me that if I confess my sins, He's faithful and just to forgive me of my sins and cleanse me from all unrighteousness. And every man should live that way. Everyone should live in that state of repentance. We're to have a good testimony among people. That means we recognize what God's calling us to and we say, look, that's what I'm trying to walk. Not, I'm going to just choose to walk in the place where God has to forgive me and I'm just going to do whatever I want. No, I I want to attain to to the things that God is challenging me with. I want to walk in marital fidelity, right? A, a one-woman man. Uh, we talked uh, uh, last week, uh, some, some, some guys and I got together round table and we talked about some of these things. And <clears throat> again, I'm saying this is, God's, this is God's standard. This is the standard. Our job as God's people is to walk the standard, When we fail walking the standard, we have confession and repentance. Yes? But we don't, we're not, if we don't walk the standard, we should be held accountable. Yeah? As believers? As believers, there's an accountability to the Lord. So, so last week I'm talking, I I do believe that God forgives and that God restores. So I'm a believer of restoration and pretty much I, I don't, while I may say, uh, there is a concept of disqualification, okay? It's possible to be disqualified from, from ministry. I just want you to understand this. Uh, the heart of God is always restoration. And all the failures of all the leaders throughout the Old Testament, God was a restorer. That doesn't mean there weren't consequences. But in the end, David stayed king, right? In the end, Moses still led the people. But it's an attitude of repentance and confession that makes a man right. Not an attitude of justification. And the beauty is, if we follow this organization that God has laid out for us, we have a plurality of leaders. And if the plurality of leaders says to one leader, no, the plurality wins. There's no veto. Calvary Chapel Buell has no such thing. Calvary Chapel Buell is governed by elders. If all the elders said tomorrow, uh, Jackie's got to go, then Jackie's got to go. That's how that works. Because the same way the Holy Spirit moves in one man, the Holy Spirit moves in six. Right? And it's possible for one man to be screwed up. It's a lot harder to screw up six. 
That's why everything's unanimous. Because it's hard to get six men unanimous. Do you know that? If you're married, you know it's hard to get two people unanimous. But the reason we do six unanimous is because it is hard. And the Holy Spirit needs to work. This is how we keep ourselves under submission to the head of the church. Who's the head? Jesus the head, right? He's the head. He's in charge. And we all want to submit to what he's doing. We, we recognize that there's a category for the relationship of Jesus Christ. They're not to be a novice. They're not to be somebody brand new in the faith. They're supposed to be somebody who has had a seasoned walk with the Lord. And then in terms of how do we deal with difficult things. Because those who are placed in leadership as overseers will deal with difficult things. Elders don't just get together and eat potluck. And hang out and pat each other on the back. Being an elder and overseer means you get down in the ugly parts of what's going on. Everybody doesn't know the ugly parts. Everybody doesn't know it, but the Word of God has very clear, distinct delineations for how we're supposed to deal with stuff within the body of Christ. And that's the job of the overseers. So it's important. How, how are you going to deal with difficult circumstances? Here's what the Word says. Be sober-minded. Be self-controlled. Right? Be hospitable. Love strangers. Be able to teach. Because in all situations, not it doesn't mean be able to preach. It does not say able to preach. It says able to teach. It says someone who's able to say, here's a problem. We got a problem. Two people within the church who are fighting need some mediation. And there needs to be somebody who can step in there as an overseer and teach how to make peace. Does that make sense? They have to be able to teach. They can't be hot-headed. They have to be gentle. Right? The Word of God. This is what the Word of God very clearly throughout Scripture teaches us. Not hot-headed. Not quarrelsome. Not, ch- not chomping for a fight. I hate confrontation. I don't like it. But that doesn't mean you don't have to do it. So do you have, does everybody know sometimes you got to do things you don't want to do? My dad taught me that real early in life. Right? I think the very first thing my dad taught me that I didn't like to do was wake up. My dad would come in on a Sunday morning singing and shouting through the house, Reveille. My dad was in the Marine Corps. And if he had had a trumpet to blow, he'd have blew the trumpet running through the house. It didn't matter what day it was. Dad, it's Saturday. We don't got to, no, it's time to get up. And then dad, was, dad thought he was a drill instructor. He really wasn't, but he thought he was. And we're all little kids, so he could do whatever he wants. So he'd run in the room. We'd get one warning. Get up, get up, get up. And he'd go down singing what a beautiful day it is. And, and then, this is probably why I, I struggle sometimes with happy people. And then he comes back. <laughs> and he's, he'd come back. And the next time there was not no warning. There was not no, I said, get out of bed. Nope, your bed was upside down. Floop. And your mattress is on top of you and the sheets are all everywhere. Get up, get up, get up. Now you got to get up and you got to put your bed back together. And it only got worse after that. So it was time to just do the things you didn't want to do. Time to get up. When we, we look at the word of God, the word of God is, is telling us sometimes there's things we got to do that we don't want to do. I would love to just live and let live. 
I would love not to confront someone on the corner of Planned Parenthood that, that what they're doing is, is bad. That what they're doing is not right. But not last week, the week before, Bill was out there and a young lady come walking up to Planned Parenthood and, and uh, they asked her not to do what she was doing and to change her mind. And she turned around and went home, gave her phone number to Bill, said, you know, pray for me. And she went back. So that's one. <clears throat> Nobody wants to be out there. Nobody wants to get flipped off 500 times a day. Nobody wants, right? But sometimes what you do, what you know God's telling you to do. So this is part of being a leader. This is part of being an overseer. We have to be able to resist temptation. What are the two temptations he talks about specifically? Uh, not a drunkard. So, hey, you can't be living for wine and living for the Lord. And money. You can't be living for money and living for the Lord. Now, in the same way that you will need money to survive, it, you, you don't have to be an absolutionist. Is that how I say it? That's not the right word. But anyways, that you don't have to be abs, total abstination. Uh, abs, holy cow. Okay, you don't have to abstain from all wine to be an overseer. But you do have to exercise the wisdom of Scripture. What Scripture demands is that you are not drunk with wine, but that you are being filled with the Holy Spirit. That your focus is not wine, that your focus is the Lord. That your focus is not money, that your focus is the Lord. Right? Okay, this is the call. Now, we're caught up. Verse 4, 1 Timothy 3, 4. He must, there's a lot of musts in this scripture. Okay, remember, those are demands, those are infinitives. He must manage his own household will with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? When it talks about an overseer, he's saying, look, and it's going to say the same thing for a deacon. So he's saying the same thing for all of us. Remember the final verses that we looked at. He's laying out, look, your, your spiritual authority does not just happen at church. You exercise your spiritual authority at the family. You are who you say you are all the time. Not just here, not just there. Now, again, it does not, when he's talking about managing his own household well, the question is, are you providing spiritual headship at home? Are you giving godly leadership? There are difficult things we do as parents. I will tell you this, it is infinitely easier, easier when your children are three and four. Infinitely. And was not, well, it's been quite a few years, but <clears throat> there, there comes a time sometimes where uh, your stance on things biblically means that there's a separation in the family. There was a time for Kathy and I that we had to tell our middle son there was time to go. Here is what godly leadership looks like do you know that there are times within the church of god that you have to look at someone in church and say it's time for you to go nobody likes to do either one of those things 
And our goal in it all, Paul tells us, right? 1 Corinthians chapter 5. You got a brother caught in the, in the uh, act of sexual immorality and you're celebrating it and you're not confronting it. And Paul says, put that one out of the church. And then 2 Corinthians, he says, hey, bring that one back. He has repented. Do you understand? The goal all along is to repent and confess, be forgiven and restored. It is not to ignore all sin. Sometimes we have to deal with it. and Sometimes it's hard. And then the one uh, confronted or dealt with gets to choose. I will submit or I won't. My son left. Now, I still love my son. I still see my son. He still comes. I hope to hear from him every day. I love him dearly. And I patiently wait. Like the father of the prodigal son. That's what godly leadership looks like. See, in the story of the prodigal son, the father is a picture of God. And I wouldn't say God's a bad father. I would say God's a good father. And he waits on the porch. And he looks for the day when his child will return. That's managing. It doesn't mean managing your family. doesn't mean your family adheres to some code that everyone else thinks is admirable. It means do you line up with what the word of God says? Are you lining up with what God's word declares? Are you being the leader God wants you to be? Are you managing? Are you, do you provide stewardship at home like you will provide stewardship at church? Because if you don't, eventually what you do at home is what comes out. Because that's who you are. Does that make sense? We want to be who we say we are in Totality, no matter where we are. Verse 6, he must not be a recent convert or he may become puffed up with conceit. He gets all wrapped up in the title. It's not about a title. It's not The only title that matters is Lord Jesus Christ. That's the only title that matters. I, don't, I, I cannot, drives me absolutely bonkers. Sometimes I get mail. I don't get it very often anymore. But sometimes I get mail that says like the most holy right Reverend Roberts. And all that means is that that person does not know me at all. Or if there's a phone call, I'm, we'd like to speak with the reverend. Yeah, you don't know me. Because I'm not a title guy. There's one person to be revered. That's the Lord Jesus Christ. Can we honor men? Can we give honor to men who have put, sure, the Bible says uh, uh, a laborer within the, the, the field is worthy of double honor. That's, that's great. But it's not about honoring some kind of title. And the reason a new convert, sometimes they get prideful because of a title. We don't want to be prideful, right? So it can't be a, a new convert. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace. So he should have a good relationship with all people. Right? Because as an overseer, you're going to deal with all people. You're going to deal with people in the church and, surprise, surprise, people outside. And you got to have a good, uh, you must be well thought of by all. 
Now he moves and he says in verse 8, continuation of the thought, <coughs> deacons likewise must be dignified. Dignified, it's the same idea. Same idea as being above reproach. Same idea as having, being well thought of by those outside, right? Same idea of being well thought of by those inside. Not double-tongued. He does not speak with forked tongue. Right? Like all the white people <laughs> in the days of the Indians. Yes? Because every, don't be too proud of our history. We're a bunch of crooks and thieves who just got into power. We stole everything that wasn't nailed down. Oh, we promised. No, we'll make a good deal. We'll give you two cases of whiskey and some, some pretty little beads. And uh, you give us, you know, Louisiana, whatever. <laughs> Look, we, we're, we're, that's who we are, right? That's who we are. But this is what saying, that's not... Who a deacon is, diakonos, diakonos. This is a, a servant, someone who's coming along and serving. It's another part within the leadership of the church. It's something that, that we made an announcement several months ago that we're, that we're moving forward on. This is something that's coming. And as we look forward to it, we want to see that the point is the plurality of leadership within the church means that we can meet one another's needs. I can't visit everybody in the church. There's not enough time. And if I think there's enough time, someone has a stroke. Or there's an emergency in a family or something goes on. A person can only be so many places. So we have an eldership to, to help out with that. And we will appoint deacons to do the same. Because it's what the Word of God talks about. But as we do, they must be dignified, not double-tongued. Same phrase, not addicted to much wine. It's the same. I don't know why they, why the interpreters say it different. In the Greek, it's not any different. It's, it's the idea. You're not a drunkard. You're not serving wine. You're serving the Lord. Again, look at the next one. Not greedy for dishonest gain. Not a lover of money. Right? It's the same stuff he's talking about. It's the same things that he's laying out for. Look, I, this, is, this is what we look for in a deacon. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. That means that their life is submitted to the truth of the Word of God. I'm submitted to what God's Word says. That's the final arbiter for me. Now, that doesn't mean we, we may not argue over how things are applied, okay? We may argue over how things are applied, but I will say God's the final authority, right? It's His mark that, we're, that we are aiming for. So you want to hold fast to that with a clear conscience. Look, I want to be <clears throat> the man that God is calling me to be. And then in verse 10 it says, and let them be tested first. Now some churches, when they look at that, they say, okay, so they're going to have a catechism or a class that you take, and that'll be your testing. For us, there's a couple of ways that we, when we think about testing, testing is you don't pick somebody who's not doing it now. Right? When you're looking for a deacon, it's, you're, not looking for, uh, you're not looking for someone who is uh, currently not in any way involved at all. How, how do you know they're good? Because deacons are involved now. It's not about somebody proclaiming, waving a wand and declaring them to be the deacon. 
It's about people doing, fulfilling their purpose and call. They must be tested. That's why Calvary Chapel Buell here in a couple of weeks, we're going to ask the congregation to nominate a group of deacons. Because you are seeing. That's part of the testing. You are seeing. So you see somebody that meets the qualifications that we're talking about, who's already serving, diakonos, then you can say, yes, I believe that this guy is a servant of the Lord. So we, we're going to make those nominations. But it also says they're going to be tested, not only by the congregation. Then each one of those guys nominated will stand before the board. And the board will either, either affirm or deny. Because... Six men full of the Holy Spirit ought to be able to ascertain what God's will and purpose is, right? It takes a lot of prayer and a lot of effort. But that, and it, I don't know how long, how long it'll take. We're not in a race. We want to make godly choices. That's how we're doing the testing. If the elders affirm, you're a deacon. You were tested by the congregation and nominated. You were tested by the elders and confirmed. Right? Seems like that's what the Word of God is laying out. In Acts chapter 6, verse 5, it says, you guys are familiar with this, and what they said pleased the whole gathering. This is uh, uh, the disciples. Remember, we told you, told you last week they had an argument over uh, widows' needs being met. And so they said, uh, okay, choose. Uh, what did, I, did I say it wrong last time? One, two, three, four, five, six. It's six, right? Seven. Seven. My goodness. So, seven men full of the Holy Spirit. And so they said, what they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose, the people chose. They chose men full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. Philip, uh, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, uh, Parmenas, Nicholas, and I skipped Stephen, uh, uh, a proselyte of Antioch. So that's the people, right? That's the people, the, the body picking out. And then in Titus 1.5, Paul writing to the leadership in Crete. He says, this is why I left you in Crete, Titus, so that you might put what remained in order and appoint elders in every town. So Paul tells the leaders to appoint elders, the, the apostles tell the church to appoint elders, so that's why we do both. That's why it's a, it's a part to say, look, this is what we want to accomplish. This is what, what we want to make come together. And if you look at the list, you're not going to find too many differences. In requirements. In a minute you're going to see a, a, a list for wives. So the idea, and remember what Paul said at the end, this is how it ought to be in the family of God. This is what God is calling us to. God didn't save us so we could wallow in the miry clay. He saved us so that we, he could lift us up. Amen? He saved us so that he could work our lives out. He saved us so he could purge sin from our lives. He saved us so that we would climb to a higher standard. Now, he does, he's not bothered by miry clay because he's a potter, right? He don't mind going out to the swamp and digging up out of the swamp, digging down in the muck and the mire to find some clay from which he can make a pot. God's not bothered by miry clay and neither am I. Because we're all in one part of that journey or another, aren't we? That's, that's the work that the Lord is doing. The, the key is that the clay 
is willing to allow the potter to do his work. You know what that looks like sometimes? It looks like God changing things. Sometimes it looks like Tyler being the leader of the worship team, and then sometimes it looks like Richard being the leader. And people will sit back and say, what's going on? What's going on? I'll tell you what's going on. God's spirit is moving. And that doesn't mean God's not done with anybody. God is still molding and making. Yes? We all fulfill a part within the body of Christ. Will you be a lump of clay that says, mold and make me? Do what you got to do in my life, God. You know, 25 years ago, I was a youth pastor. I was fine doing that. I was a football coach. I don't know if I was okay doing that. (laughs) Football coaching brings all the ugly things out of me. I have not watched one football game all year. I don't even know who's in the playoffs. I don't know if that's freeing or if I have other problems. I don't know. But there's a group for that, for sure. We have a group for that. But as we, as we think about that, right, look, I, I want to say, look, this is what's important. I'm submitting to, the, to, the, to what God does. And the way we've established leadership of this church, that's the way it's supposed to be. This church, whatever happens here, belongs to you. My name ain't on a thing. If it's time for me to go, and the elder said, Jackie, it's time for you to go, then I go. Hopefully they'll still let me come to church here. But, but that's right, because it's, it is submitting to God's authority. Because that is God's authority. That's, that's, that's how we're supposed to function. There's a lot of people that say, well, you shouldn't do that. You should put all these things in. What if you get a bad board? Well, what if you get a bad preacher? What do you do? Well, we're all bad people. And we think we need to manipulate all the things so that we can accomplish God's purpose. And the reality is, we all just need to bow the knee and say, Lord, you're in charge. Do what you need to do. However that looks, whatever that looks like, Lord, we're submitting to you. Verse 11, he says, therefore... Uh, their wives likewise. Okay, so likewise three times. Likewise for elders, likewise for deacon, deacons, likewise for wives. That's hard to put those lines together. Uh, that means in the same way, in the same way, in the same way. Now, there's a lot of questions about this phrase. Let's look at it. Their wives likewise must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Their wives. Now, here's, here's the struggle. I'm going to give it to you guys. I'm going to give you all the technical, and then I'm going to tell you um, why I think that this translation is correct. The word is gunaikas. Gunaikas is a word for woman or the word for wife. So we could say this is for all women. Some people say this is for deaconesses. So it's possible you let the context define whether the word is translated woman or wife. The immediate context refers to deacons. <clears throat> the author in, in this uh, uh, section has not mentioned anything about wives on elders' qualifications, although the there can go back to both deacons and elders. 
And elsewhere in the New Testament, we see some things that seem to indicate that there were women who served as diaconas. But diaconas in the Bible is not a title. Diaconas is a word that means servant. Minister is not a title. Minister means slave. We take all these religious terms and we put some kind of special uh, uh, mojo on it, right? No, now it's a... Now, nobody's running around saying, Slave Roberts? Is Slave Roberts there? (laughs) Oh, how come? That's what it means. Here's why I think it's referring to wives. The translation wives uh, is probably to be preferred for these reasons. One, it would be strange for the author to discuss women deacons in the middle of the qualifications for male deacons. He's not done talking about deacons. He's going to talk about deacons again in the next sentence. It's a little weird to stop in the middle. Um, It would seem that he would do elders, deacons, deaconesses. But uh, Number two, the author seems to indicate clearly in the next verse uh, that women are not deacons, as deacons must be the husbands of one wife. Third, most of the qualifications given for deacons elsewhere do not appear here. Either the author has truncated the requirements for women deacons or he's not actually referring to women deacons. And finally, the principle given in 1 Timothy 2.12 appears to be an overarching principle for church life. That's the, the section that declared that women are to be learners within the church and that God is calling men to step up and lead. So I believe this is referring to wives, and I believe it's referring to the wives of the deacons and wives of the elders. What is it? They're to be dignified. And what does that mean? They're not slanderers. They're not tale bearers. They're not gossips. They are serious, and they are faithful. Sober-minded, faithful in all things. Verse 12, he returns right back to the idea of the deacons. In verse 12, it says, Let deacons... Each be the husband of one wife, managing their children in their own households well. Again, it's a mirror of what we're talking about with elders, with the exception of apt to teach. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. The idea is that when, when and as deacons are appointed, And as they function in that role, right, doing visitations, going to the hospital and seeing people, praying with people, right, doing the the things that allows all of us to be the hands and feet of our Lord and Savior, to be a part for us, they'll be a part of uh, putting together the budget. And then that budget will lay out in front of the elders, and the elders will approve or not approve. And then the budget goes back to the deacons, and they'll... Figure out what was the differences. And then it'll come back to the elders. And so we spread out the work. Hopefully so that, uh, honestly, so that elders are available to go anoint with oil and pray over the sick and visit those. And I'm not spending as much time uh, on the financial start stuff. And then we'll utilize deacons in the same role. Right? There's no delineations of what they can do and what they can't do. He doesn't tell us. He just says this is the the plurality of leadership within the church. This is how it's supposed to work. So they're supposed to have their leadership for a deacon at home as well as at church, right? Same thing as the elders. Managing their family well. And what can they expect? 
This is my speech to everybody who gets into ministry. This, I'll give you the negative one first and I'll give you the positive one. Usually I tell people after I have this talk with them to go talk to Kathy. Because then she makes them feel better. <laughs> What's going to happen when you get involved in ministry and you get involved in service? You're going to lose your friends. And you're going to feel like you're cut off from everybody. That's the downside. Now, the upside is you will have a good standing. Remember Stephen? We used him as an example last time. Stephen comes out and he, he starts with taking care of the widows, right? And, he's, and pretty soon he's given opportunity, he's sharing his faith, he's doing stuff. And the next thing you know, a crowd rises up and they kill him. Yeah. Just so you know, being a believer ought to mean you're a martyr already. In Galatians chapter 2, Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. We, we find ourselves sometimes cut off with, with nobody, you know, who do, who do you go to? <laughs> it took me a while to learn this. A couple of, when I first got here, a couple of times I went to, you know, the guys I was serving with and, and tried to try to deal with some of the stuff I'm struggling with. And I wrecked them. Right? And I realized I can't take my stuff to them. So I, I can take my stuff. Ultimately, who we put, all supposed to take our stuff to. That's right. We all take our stuff to the Lord. My deal for my wife is this. I am her burden bearer. So I, when she's got a burden to unload, I take the wheelbarrow over to her and I say, fill it up. And she fills up the wheelbarrow and then I turn around and take the wheelbarrow to the Lord. That's what a husband does for his wife. He bears her burdens. And it's nice when we have guys, right? The Bible says, confess your sins one to another, right? So, so when we have people that we can connect with. But there comes time, sometimes, in leadership you don't have that. So you go to the Lord. you got to be okay with it. I remember when Kathy first got here, she calls somebody and she says, You won't believe in blah, 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 blah. She's kind of unloading all her stuff on this other pastor's wife. And the other pastor's wife has kicked her back into play. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Stop. All that stuff goes to the Lord. I remember Kathy going, I can't believe she said that to me. <laughs> what, does she not know who I am? No, she don't know. <laughs> Since she started menopause, I don't know either. <laughs> sometimes, 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 Sometimes I stand back and I look. Is is this the demon or I'm teasing. It's it's not that bad. I'm going to pay for all that later just so you know. I'm going to pay for all that later. Uh, we we find these guys having a good standing, right? They're they're coming up and then we also find them having great confidence. And that great confidence Listen, that great confidence sometimes is attributed to the fact that sometimes being in leadership means you're going to be a little lonely. 
I know we're all looking for a place where we belong, and I really hope you feel that way, because I, 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 I hope you feel like you belong here, and if you don't, I, I hope I can help you feel that way. But we can't always be the answer for your loneliness. Sometimes we can, right? Sometimes it works out. Praise the Lord. But really, God is calling us, right, to find the answer to our loneliness in Him. He's never not there. He never misses a call. He doesn't miss appointments. He is always there. Having great confidence in Him is what enabled Philip and Stephen to rise above, right? That's what happens when we accept that role of service. So Paul says in verse 14, I hope to come to you soon, but I'm writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God. He's not saying this is how an elder is supposed to behave. He's not saying this is how a deacon is supposed to behave. He's not saying this is how their wives are supposed to behave. He's saying this is how we're supposed to behave. This is who we are supposed to be. People who see God's standard and don't give an excuse for why not to be that. But rather say, no, this is what God wants. What does God want? He wants men to be one woman men. Malachi, the Lord declares he hates divorce. We can all come up with a million reasons. Well, I can't, but maybe you guys can why that we should leave or get a, be able to be free from the, the wife of our youth. But that's not God's standard. Period. So if you're not married, listen. Choose well. If it don't work out, it's your fault. You picked them. You picked her. I wasn't there. I might have been there when you stood in front of God and said, it's me and you till the wheels fall off, till death do us part. I was, I've been there for a lot of those who didn't take that serious. So the point is, God takes your, your commitment serious. So now what do I do? Well, this is what I do. If I have offended God by my sin, I confess and I repent. And now I move forward. We don't have no time machine to go back in time for the things we've screwed up, do we? But can you understand this is God's standard? So our job is to say, I want to follow God's standard. This is how we are supposed to be. Paul viewed the church as God's family. The place where God's people come together. Not just this church, all churches. And these things are fitting for all members of God's family. He wants to reinforce our faith. Look what he says. He says, great indeed, we confess this family of God. Great indeed, we confess is a mystery of godliness. It's a mystery. It's a mystery how we ever become godly. That's a mystery. It's not an effort for us to say, I am somehow self-righteous. I am not a self-righteous man. I am a repenter and a confessor, and I do lift up God's standard and say, that's where I want to be. And when I fail, I confess, repent, and I do it again. 
A righteous man falls seven times in a day and rises again. We continue to move forward, right? Continue to move forward. We confess. Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. And then he lifts his eyes to Jesus. He says, he was manifested in the flesh. Who was? Jesus. Jesus Christ was manifested in the flesh. That speaking of his incarnation, he's reinforcing the faith, our belief. You know what this last section is? Verse 16. It's a hymn. It's a song of the church. When they would gather together, they'd put their, their feelings and their faith on a page and they'd sing. To reinforce what they believed. That Jesus Christ was manifest in the flesh. God became flesh. The incarnation. God became flesh. He was vindicated by the Spirit. What is that referring to? It's referring to His resurrection. He was vindicated by the Spirit. Romans 1.4 He was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the Spirit of holiness by His resurrection from the dead. The vindication of the Spirit means that the sacrifice was acceptable. The Spirit raises Him. It raised Him. 1 Peter 3.18 For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that He might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh and made alive in the Spirit. Made alive in the Spirit. He is manifest in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels. Yeah, the angels were everywhere, right? The angels were everywhere. They were worshiping as the Son of Man ascended to the right hand of the Father. Hebrews 1.6 And again, when He brings the firstborn into the world, at the incarnation, He says, let all God's angels worship Him. At the incarnation, where were the angels? Remember the shepherds in the field? What happened? Angels come and they say, Hey, this is the greatest day of all time. God just came to you in the flesh. And they worshipped. 1 Peter 1.12 It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you, and the things that have now been announced to you through those who preached the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Things into which angels long to look. You think the angels stopped at the incarnation? Man, the angels been celebrating and singing over the works of Christ all the way through the ascension and now watching His grace lived out in our lives. He was seen by angels. He's proclaimed among the nations the preaching of the gospel. He's believed on in the world. That is faith responding to the preaching of the gospel. And he is taken up in glory. Oh, that's the vision of the Son of Man in Daniel. When he comes up before the Father, the Ancient of Days, and the Ancient of Days gives him a throne. And he says in the Psalms, sit here. Till I make all your enemies your footstool. And there the sun sits. 
ever living to make intercession for us. As Paul is referring to all these things, as we consider what God wants in the realm of leadership within the church, how these things are supposed to function, we want to come alongside what the Word of God says and do our best to affirm what is written and apply what is written to our lives and how we see things and how we do things and how we move forward. And the purpose of it all is not to attain to a title. The purpose of it all is to be able to proclaim great is the mystery of godliness. Because Jesus Christ came in the flesh. He came. He died. He rose. Angels have been worshiping all around him and he has called us to proclaim the gospel everywhere we go. And as we proclaim the gospel, men and women will respond in faith to that gospel and God will change lives. And one day we'll be with him in glory. And on that day when we are with him in glory, you individually will have your moment with the king. One moment in all of time. One chance in all of time to hear the words, Well done. On that day, it's too late to say, I would strive to meet your standard, Lord. Today is the day to do that. That day is the day to celebrate when you see His eyes. What a glorious day that will be. Amen? We're pretty close. You know, it's not 12 yet. Let's go before the Lord in prayer. Why don't you stand with me? Father God, we thank you that we can uh, just uh, allow your word to govern us. Lord, that your word would do and accomplish its purpose in our life, Lord. I pray, Lord, that each and every one of us would would say, man, it is the Word of God that we seek to follow, that we seek to obey. It's the Word of God that we use to govern us. It's the Word of God that calls me to a higher purpose, a greater righteousness. And God's Word also accounts for my failures. He gives me the ability to repent and confess and be restored and then lift my eyes to God's standard and continue. Because this life is a marathon, it's not a sprint. And it's our goal, it's our desire to live a life holy and acceptable to you, Lord, which is our reasonable service. So not our extraordinary service, it's reasonable. It's reasonable to say, I've died with you, Christ. It's not about me anymore. It's not about what I want. Maybe I have desires that, that, I, that don't match up to God's standard. It's not my job to change God's standard so that my desires fit. It's my job to die to me. I was crucified with Christ. I have died already. Sometimes I have to be reminded. I have died And Jesus Christ has raised me again to be a new creation, created in Christ Jesus, to walk in the ways that He has called me to walk in, to lift my eyes to that standard and go on. 
so many ways of life, there, there is that standard bearer. When I was in the Marine Corps, there was something called the guide-on, our guide. He carried the pennant, the thing that stood for the leadership of our platoon. And sometimes you find yourself in crazy situations, maybe with your face down in the mud and screaming and yelling and barbed wire and who knows what else that you're mucking through and crawling around while bombs go off on one side or the other. But the call was always the same. Lift your eyes to the guide. Lift your eyes to the guide. I can stare in the mud and I can stare in all the things I can't do. I can't go. I can't finish. I can't get up that mountain. I don't want to keep running. I don't want to keep marching. And then the call would be to lift your eyes to the guide. In the physical world, I learned to endure through my time in the Marine Corps. In the spiritual world, I have a much better guide. So if you find yourself in a state of failure, God's not calling you to quit ever. God's saying, lift your eyes to the guide. Jesus Christ is the standard bearer. His banner is a banner of love. So when I fail, I lift my eyes and Jesus Christ restores me so that I might stand and follow my King again. God, I just pray that that would be our desire and our heart. And as we worship and close out our service and as prayer counselors come forward and are available for prayer, I pray that if you need to do that, you need to confess to the Lord, you need to have brothers sisters pray for you there'll be people spread around the church who want to so that you might be restored put your eyes on the prize for I do not consider this present suffering worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed when we see him face to face lift your eyes to the standard and walk with Jesus. Be glorified in this place, Lord God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.